Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello, and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, we've got someone pretty special on our episode. His name is David Oates. He is a crisis public relations expert. Normally, we would say PR expert, but I like to simplify our acronyms for all of our techies with millions of acronyms. David has over 25 years experience in the field. He helps organizations repair their brand's reputation in the press and online, and he can handle any crisis PR situation, and he can also train others to do the same. So he's been in the U.S. Navy as a public affairs officer. He's been in corporate PR, and he's dealt with a full range of issues. You might be curious what they could be, things like mass layoffs, large-scale accidents, product recall, and here's a big one, inappropriate acts by executives. So be careful. Folks who are listening, here's how you would deal with it. So I think the question for the listeners is, do you know what to do if any of these situations happen at your company? Well, listen in. David can help with us. So let's welcome Dave. Welcome to the show. Hey, Joni. Thanks for having me. It's a treat. Yeah, this is so much fun. I'm just so curious. We've got lots of questions for you. Um, especially with our whole coronavirus, you know, issue coming on here. So, yeah. I've heard a little bit about that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One or two, one or two news reports. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Um, But first of all, our audience is primarily nerds. And so I wanted to relate this to them and I wanted to hear your story about how you came into crisis PR and you know, you've talked about in your bio here, we have about your Navy, but also you've worked with technical companies. So tell us a little bit about that to get a in, nerds interested here. Yeah. So I, I've been in the PR business for about 25 years. As, as you mentioned, I started as a Navy officer about halfway through a nine-year career, I became a Navy public affairs officer. So about the mid-90s, I switched what they called the designations into a, a, what would be described as a corporate communications head. And I did various uh, spokespersons duties and corporate communications duties for the Navy. During that time, I was in Haiti for six months as a joint, uh, as a spokesperson for a joint military operation. I was on an aircraft carrier for two years. I had a staff of eight and we ran essentially all the public relations, public affairs, government, community, and employee communications, not only for the carrier, which had, you know, a little over 5,000 service members, but the eight other ships that went with us on the battle group. So that's about 7,500 people total. It was a great experience. But crisis was just part of the day's activities. As you can imagine, in the military, you're in, you know, foreign ports of call. You're in hot combat operations. There's a 24-hour, very heavy-duty industrial operations. So accidents, uh, sailors and Marines behaving badly, different uh, hot war engagements. I literally ran the gamut from that. And then about 20 years ago, I went into the private sector and worked for a couple of agencies that focused in technology companies. So, so to get to your point, the first sort of foray I had into corporate America was to take the PR experiences that I had and apply them in a corporate setting, largely but not exclusively to startups or small cap, small cap publicly traded companies. So the 
things that we would work on in addition to promoting, you know, their new software products and, and, and go to market strategies was if there were adverse news events that would occur that would get the ire of not just the press, but also their highly trained employees that they were trying to keep, particularly as they were trying to, you know, continue on an iterative path to go to market with their product or certainly achieve a certain uh, revenue goal. But as important to them were their customers and their investors. Now you got to keep the investors happy if they were going to continue to fund at least early stage development before you attain cash flow positive status and you know profitability. And so th those type of scenarios were such that when there were things that they didn't want to talk about, I had to get them prepared to talk about them and in such a way as to allay the concerns of employees who were going to go literally cross the street to the next job opportunity, investors who were going to be reticent about getting the next round of funding, you know, um, closed or secured, or keeping the executive team intact, as was the case, and certainly customers who were taking a risk off and in going with this new product in beta mode or things like that to continue with that. And, and, and it was a great experience along that line. And then roughly 15 years ago, uh, I was the marketing head of a software company where I got to do that in-house. And then about 13 years ago, I went on my own as a consultant for a wide range of organizations, but technology uh, included with that. It's been a great ride, I got to tell you. Wow. I'm just listening to all the things you said, and it sounds super interesting, but I think one of the things that is unexpected is talking about how to retain your employees through crisis PR. Uh, you think of it only as a customer thing, but this is also for internal folks too. So a uh, big issue today. It is, and one that's often overlooked, not just by business owners and executives, but um, sad to say other corporate communication folks. Because I think when folks think about PR and certainly crisis PR, they naturally default to the news organizations, the, the general public and how you respond if a reporter picks up the phone, rolls into the parking lot and starts to ask questions. And, and that's, that, that's not good. I don't mean to say that that's something you shouldn't focus on, but often it does so at the detriment of focusing on what I think are even more important audiences, employees, customers, partners, investors, and, and other stakeholders. And in that order, you notice I named employees first. Employees are going to be the backbone of whether you are going to make or break through this adverse event, whether you're going to actually be able to come out the other side and be able to continue normal operations. Uh, there's two things to think about with employees. First off, they are the ones who are dealing with the customers and your stakeholders on a daily basis. They're the front lines of you being able to articulate a value proposition and deliver on that. And if the employees are not told what's going on and not are not addressed on their concerns and are able to then be empowered with messaging and things to say to, again, the other stakeholders, you're done. You won't repair yourself. I don't care what you say to a reporter or a news organization. If the employees don't buy into it and are not brought in to helping you move through it, the story will linger it will then perpetuate on the blogosphere. Google will index it. You'll see then negative reviews on things like Glassdoor and, and other tech review sites. Blog reviews like Mashable and TechCrunch will start to pick up on that. And it can be a real mess. So employees are absolutely the first audience segment you have to concern yourself as a PR professional and as a business owner and a business executive, most especially with tech companies. Because if they're not empowered, they're not going to back you up. They're out the door 
and you don't get through this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, David. I mean, one of the things that I see a lot when there's organizational change or any kind of ambiguity there is that the rumors start flying. People make stuff up. <laughs> it's not even true. And it used to be 20 years ago that the rumors would largely stay within the walls of the company, mm -hmm. right? They may, you may get people griping about it at the lunch break room or, you know, as they're getting their fifth or sixth cup of coffee, as software developers do, you know, and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But nowadays, everybody's a broadcaster. Your employees right. who are going to be on LinkedIn and Facebook talking to friends, talking to family members, talking to other people in the profession and going, mm -hmm. my company is screwed up. You should see how they're handling this and this. We haven't been told anything or what we're told is just a pack of BS. And they're the ones who are going to broadcast your true self. So if you are not one that understands the value and the importance of keeping your employees informed and empowered before you take care of everybody else, uh, they're going to they're gonna let others know about it and it's going to perpetuate. And that's the narrative that will be set through an online channel because employees right now have as much ability to broadcast perspectives and opinions to the general public as a news organization does. Wow. I'm, I'm hearing that it's really important, like that a whole bit about authentic leadership. And that's the kind of leadership that I help people deal with, but you know, how to be transparent with your employees and also outside the organization is, is something of a preventative measure there. But let me ask you a question, David. So when, when is it that someone would bring in a PR expert, a crisis PR expert? I mean, we've got some ideas of like what we should be doing already to avoid some of these issues, but when is it time? How, what are the indicators that it's time to hire you? I tell people I should be hired before there's a crisis. Ooh, and, and, yeah. and, 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 and really, I, I don't say that lightly because the, the idea of figuring out what to say and when to say for a particular scenario should be done long before the issue actually comes to light. So at, Best case scenario, as you're developing potential risk management strategies as a company, what could what could happen if this thing goes wrong? Right, my product yield is lower than it can. My efficacy on this on this piece of technology goes south. Implementation with a certain customer goes awry, or things related to just the dynamics of working with other people. Somebody does something stupid online, or there's a, got a sexual harassment claim by an employee or by a, you know, God forbid, somebody at the C-suite. Any of those type of scenarios, you should start planning for what do you do to address that to your key publics, employees, customers, partners, investors, stakeholders, and, and oh, by the way, media. Get that ready to go with the full intent on never having to use it, but having it ready that literally everyone is trained upon so that if it goes down, you flick a switch, everybody knows their place, everybody knows their role, you modify the messages to just fit the uniqueness of that particular instance, and you go forward with it. Because as I mentioned to you, employees have the ability to be broadcasters, but whether it comes from a customer, an employee, or the media, if an event like that were to go down, a crisis event, you've got about an hour to respond before Whoa. you're gonna start to see the rumblings on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, mm -hmm tech blogs, media calling up there. You got to prep for an hour at the most two hours to be able to be ready to respond. You can determine whether you should wait for inquiries or not. But if you wait for somebody to, to actually ask you the question, and then you spend a good part of the day wondering how you're going to respond, that blog post, that social media post, that news article is already up and the narrative is set. And now you can still 
go through a crisis PR scenario and you can still get through it, but your costs just quadrupled and you're playing defense and this thing's going to extend for some time. Yeah, that's incredible. An hour. I mean, that's just times have changed. What yes. happens when somebody's ticked off at work? Do people mm-hmm. wait until the end of the day to post something on no. Facebook? No, <laughs> we've seen that, right? Do people wait until the end of the day to go on Glassdoor? No, what do they do? They go on their company-owned internet system and uh-huh. company-owned devices to lobby a complaint. And they do it the moment they are ticked off. Yeah. Ah. So let me ask you now a little bit about technical companies. Uh-huh. You know, we've got a lot of scientists and developers and techies um, who are listening in here and watching us and what kind of things come up with them and also what kind of challenges do you run into with the leaders in these companies when you're trying to either prevent or manage a crisis PR situation? You know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in another setting where technical people particularly leaders of in, in various technical companies are wickedly smart mm-hmm. and they are good at what they do because they have taken the time to analyze a certain need, come up with a formulaic response, code, you know, if they're developing, come up with their product sets, and they are very diligent about making that happen because they don't wanna, you know, redo something or have to do something over again, time is money. And the problem in a crisis PR event is you don't necessarily have the time to do so. You don't have, you don't have, the luxury of waiting to get all of the information to see what kind of response would be and to analyze this in great detail. And so what has to happen instead is taking the leaders oftentimes out of their comfort zone to be able to respond to a crisis as soon as you can, but only in the constraints of what you currently know. So in other words, you don't have to speculate on things that haven't come in yet, but you need to show people empathy and action. If there's two things you you do in any crisis PR situation is to show empathy and action. We're on it. We know it's an issue. We're evaluating, but we are taking action because this is deemed to be not something that we can just let go. I, I, I use that as sort of a general statement. You need to at least have that as muscle memory. So what it requires of of software or, or tech companies, and I say software, wireless, and semiconductor certainly, but is to train to various scenarios so it becomes muscle memory. A lot of tech people, let's say, uh, that I know of play a musical instrument, guitar or you know piano or something along that line. And the way in which you get really good at that, not dissimilar to the way you get really good at your technical skill set, is by repetitive training, doing it over and over again until it becomes muscle memory. Same is true with a crisis scenario plan. How are you gonna communicate, come up with a litany of scenarios and train to that? So that even if you're faced with a scenario that doesn't fit within one of the things you plan for, you at least have the muscle memories to know how to go about strategizing for that to respond in the short time uh, constraints you've got. Interesting. I mean, I like that because um, you're telling us that people with analytical minds like to gather information to make decisions on that. And here we're dealing with something that you're just going to have to make a snap decision and uh, we're going to have to deal with the ambiguity. That's an issue that often comes up as leaders are moving up the ladder, you know, moving into executive positions. All of a sudden, you have to make uh, decisions with incomplete information. But you're saying if you're practicing that ahead of time, it becomes a lot easier. It does. It absolutely Mm -hmm. does. And yeah, the recognition that the human element here is playing the lead role. And as we think we talked about, humans are certainly software 
uh, in themselves, but they're not clean code. And so mm. you're dealing with the dynamic of people who will respond to a, a event with emotions first and logic second. It's, it's just the way in which people operate. And we see so now, particularly on social media, and the visceral responses that people will make on what seems to be a pretty innocuous statement by somebody, or maybe not innocuous, maybe, maybe that person who made the statement is just out and out angry about something. And so people will respond with the same amount of emotion. It's, it's not dissimilar in a crisis PR event affecting an organization. So yeah, you have to plan for that. You have to recognize that that's going to happen. You have to be prepared for that energy coming at you and how you respond. Again, showing empathy in action without necessarily uh, admitting any culpability that that isn't yours to to own, but but being able to respond and tell people that you're on it, that you're taking this seriously, and that you're working with all of the players to make sure that whatever happened is something you can address and not have happen again, or certainly mitigate that, uh, is going to be important. So yeah, it's taking it's taking business owners, technical companies, and non-tech companies out of their comfort zone often. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because a lot of things we talk about on the show have to do with some of the, like the emotional intelligence piece. And and some people, like a lot of nerds say, well, we don't really bring emotions into the workplace. You know, we like to look at the data and make decisions based on the facts. But the fact is, we do have emotions and they start flying, and especially when you get into a crisis. And so being able to handle that, even if it's not your preferred way of dealing with things, is something that's going to be necessary. Yeah, for those technical owners that that say that, and I get it, right? They like yeah. to look at from a business strategy standpoint mm-hmm. with with emotions in check, as they should. And that's how you make good decisions when you're right. not affected by emotions. But I would ask those individuals, during the course of a day, how many times do you laugh? How wow. many times do you smirk at something? How many times do you snark back at a comment that may maybe didn't come from some, you know, from a colleague or a coworker or an employee, but maybe came from something that you saw, something that you read. How many times does that happen in the course of the day? And if they stop and actually were to count those emotional responses, mm-hmm. I think they'd be shocked how many times they do that. It's in, it's in the dozens, right, for any particular person. How many times you, you laugh that day? Something strikes you as that. Well, now put that into a position that you could view as a crisis event. Emotions are even that much higher. People will default to that. That is just human nature. So as much as they like to take it out and they should for strategy standpoints, day-to-day operations that become a crisis event, it happens all the time and it happens for everybody. I don't care how stoic of an individual you are. Yeah, good point. Well, I, I'm sure everyone is wondering about the coronavirus as a crisis PR issue. Now, whether we're, actually, this is a great time because we are in the middle of it. So totally. even if uh, you're listening to this later, you can see like what it's like when you are in the middle. And I'm sure we're all gonna remember this for a long time. So tell us a little bit about what you've already had to deal with in terms of crisis PR for the coronavirus. Yeah, and so this is really a, a non-technical story, but I'm the current president of a, of a pretty large Rotary Club in San Diego. We've got about 500 members, and we hold various events. And in particular, we've got a, a youth camp that is coming up here in about a week and a half. We're, we're going to get somewhere between 80 and 90 high school juniors that we take free of charge up to a camp in Julian. We, uh, we target the, the non-honor students, as I said, for what is ultimately amounts to a confidence-building two-day camp uh, experience. And I have been getting a lot of requests and inquiries 
suggesting that we cancel them. And so we have put together a pretty good communications plan, one-on-one -on -one with the students who are coming, as well as their parents, one-on-one -on -one with the guidance counselors and the schools that we have uh, partnered with to, to get the students. Uh, we are also communicating with the campsite that we're using, and we're communicating with our volunteer Rotarians that are doing this there, discussing our monitoring of the situation. And as we do so, we are also articulating empathy and understanding for the anxiety and the concerns that the coronavirus news is bringing people. But, but, but we can't just tell people to discard and discount the hysteria. We can't say, look, it, just get over it or chill out. Well, yeah, it's, it's not <laughs> yeah. that big of a deal because it doesn't, it doesn't empathize with people's natural concern. Again, that emotional state. So we say, look, we, we recognize that people are very much concerned about this. We recognize that this is a topic of great discussion. Here is what we're doing to communicate with you all of the things that we are prepared to do and all the things that we're monitored to do. Um, it, but between now and the next 10 days, it's going to be a regular communication by, to all audiences as to what we're doing. And I, that's probably a good way to segment to what should tech leaders do if faced with this kind of mm -hmm. health matter. And I'm sure many of them are doing that now. I think recognizing that people are concerned, recognizing that people want to see uh, some response from their organizations. And I think articulating not only the things you're doing in terms of setting up uh, precautionary measures, maybe adding to the extent that Costco still has them, hand sanitizers <laughs> and others and towels and things like that in your office space. But I think also articulating uh, what you are doing in terms of promoting the standard proper hygiene that we all should be doing, washing our hands regularly. Mm -hmm. You know, not, you know, if you're touching somebody else's uh, materials or your own, you should, you know, frequently wash, wash your hands. Don't touch your face, you know, be respectful or even mandate the elbow or fist bumping mm -hmm. greetings instead of the handshake or the hug. You know, those kind of things I think are appropriate. And then just keep articulating the facts and the monitoring that you're doing you know, until such time as you think that it's necessary to close a campus. And and I've seen some tech companies go as far as to say, please feel free to work remotely if you so choose, because you just don't feel safe. We want to make sure that people feel safe for that one. And I think there's a balance to be had from that there. I think what you don't want to do, though, is tell people as as would be a natural state to just calm down. Um, oh, gosh, whoever calms down when someone tells them to. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, as much as as much as sometimes I want to tell folks that yeah. I do think that this is a little overblown. Uh, saying that in a public forum in an official capacity is probably not going to probably not going to get you where you want to go. All right. So you have to at least recognize that. Yeah, oh, I, I really um, think you explained it extremely well there in terms of the empathy piece. It's it's not only emotional, it's just understanding people's perspectives, too. So like if, if they want to feel safe, I mean, that is sort of a feeling uh, area that that's what you need to help them feel and understand that and have them know that uh, you are taking measures to help them feel safe. I, you know, I recognize I'm talking to a, a trained psychologist <laughs> with, a, with a doctor in this one. And, and I stayed at Holiday Inn Express last night, but that's not good enough. But I can tell you that the reason that people become agitated or angry or or anxiety ridden is because there's a feeling that they're not in control. There's mm -hmm. a lack of, mm -hmm. of 
of control of their own surroundings. And when they're reaching out to somebody to express that, they are putting at least part of the blame on their anxiety, on their feeling of lack of control on that individual. And that needs to be understood and addressed by the organization to whom that message is being sent. And you need to then show some action, even if it's not yours to take, even if it's just, I hear you, I understand, I got it, and I'm, and I'm listening to you, and you have an open line of communication to me. That can be enough oftentimes to allay the concern, at least to the level that it needs to be, so you can continue on with normal operations. Mm -hmm. And so you're the person to help uh, craft those messages. So if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you uh, to learn more about this or to see what you can do for their organizations, how do they do that? I appreciate that. They can go to my website, publicrelationssecurity.com, publicrelationssecurity.com. My email is simply david at publicrelationssecurity.com. I'm on LinkedIn, David Oates, uh, and uh, all other social media platforms that you can find me. I'd love to talk to them. And certainly, even if it's just to give a couple of quick ideas, uh, I love talking entrepreneur to entrepreneur, business owner to business owner. It's, it's what I love to do and love to help out. So glad to hear from everybody. Great. We'll have that information on the show notes too. So don't worry if you didn't get that in the audio. So um, last thing, if you have one piece of advice, what should you never do in a crisis PR event? So I appreciate that question. It's a fantastic question. Never do what their natural state tells them to do, which Ooh. is typically one of two areas okay. for, for most business owners. And I know I'm over-characterizing that for everybody here, but a business owner has been, has, has been such, or, or an executive mm -hmm. has ascended to that position largely because of two distinguishing characteristics. One is to ignore the naysayer, and one is to power through the obstacles. So they're either hell-bent on achieving their goal despite any obstacles before them, and they are good at knocking down walls and, and beating through any of the obstacles that are in front of them, or they simply tune out the naysayers and focus on what they're going to do. In crisis PR, neither of those characteristics serve you well. You can't ignore the people who are shouting at you, even if you discount their argument. You have to at least recognize that they have a voice, and they need to be addressed. Similarly, you can't do an art. You can't have an argumentative response like I talked about with people just getting over it. Right. Or I talk about again another non-tech example was United when they dragged that passenger off the airplane two years ago. Came out with a statement that they said we had every right to do so. Yet that didn't work for them. And so you've got to you've got to come at them with empathy and action. So what not to do? Don't do what most business owners and executives have done, which has been made them successful, which is to ignore the naysayers or just fight back. Got to come up with something that takes you out of your comfort zone. Hmm. Ah, that's great advice. And I think that's really resonate with our technical audience because um, going against the grain, that can be hard to do. <laughs> it's not easy, right? But, but it will allow you to get back to normal operations faster than, than not. And that's really the goal of any crisis PR event. I'm not trying to get the audience who is already not happy with you and thinks ill of you to come around. I'm not trying to spin it, if you will. What I am trying to do is to give you an opportunity to be able to show that you've heard the, the messages, you are taking action to allow your supporters to feel comfortable staying with you and to at least diffuse on some level 
the anxiety from the opposition to get you back to normal operations. That's the ultimate goal of any crisis PR plan. And if it and if executed well, it can do that, but only with proper planning and guidance and, and quick execution. Well, there, you summed it up perfectly. Thank you, Dave, for being a guest on our show today. Joni, thanks for the time. I love this. Yes, and thanks to all of our listeners and viewers, too. You're on ReinventingNerds.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.